0: Welcome to the School of Travels podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the School of Travels podcast. Before we start this week's episode, I just wanted to share some exciting news with you. After 49 episodes of editing the School of Travels podcast myself, I have finally hired a professional podcast editor to help me with my future episodes. So if you notice anything different with the editing style today, now you know why. A huge shout out and thank you to Ryan Ferguson for his podcast editing wizardry and helping me continue to bring you more stories of travel and adventure on the road. Now, on to today's episode. In this time of limited travel around the world, Surya Sanchez, my guest this week, found himself in a lucky situation with not one, but three passports. Despite growing up in Switzerland, in close proximity to so many other countries, Surya still dreamed of traveling for a year as far away as possible, in his case to New Zealand on a working holiday visa. At the time, Surya left without a job, but through a lot of trial and error, he realized that skills he already had could be used to keep traveling and ultimately making a career for himself as a digital consultant, helping others to automate their lives. But as you will hear, Surya has another hobby that he has found to be an excellent way to connect with others on the road. What is that hobby? Let's start the show now and find out. Here's my interview with Surya. Welcome to episode 51 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, I'm here with Surya Sanchez at a co-working space that we have both been going to in Lisbon, Portugal. Shout out to Avila Spaces. Surya, welcome to the School of Travels podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Really happy to be with you here. Uh, despite all this craziness happening in the world, we, had, we have the chance to be here in a co-working, still open, right?
0: Yeah, we are in a lockdown for what we think is gonna be two weeks but could easily be a month, right? That's yeah, saying.
1: that's the thing. With Portugal we never know how long it will last and yeah.
0: Yeah. Surya, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, so my name is Surya. Um obviously my first language is French. Um and but I'm from Switzerland, actually. So I grew up in Switzerland, I feel very Swiss, even though I'm not hundred percent from Switzerland at all. So I'm living a um, nomad lifestyle. Um, I started that maybe five years ago uh, after high school. So my biggest dream was to go actually to Australia. That was like a dream from when I was very, uh, very child, and very young. And then I wanted to go there just because it was really far from every, everywhere. Um, yeah. So that was my biggest dream when I was young.
0: Wow, so you're the second person I've had on the School of Travels that started, it sounds like you started, like you said, after high school. And the other person I interviewed, which I I don't, I will send you a link to this afterwards. He started when he was 20. He moved to Japan and Mm -hmm. he did a a number of youth projects and was pretty involved with his local community, which I think got him out traveling. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he was from France, so they had a lot of programs there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So actually, so... In Europe, in many countries, we have a program called Working Holiday Visa. So there's some country around Europe, including France, I think Belgium, there's also Argentina, Japan is one of them. So I don't know if you heard about this visa, have you?
0: Yes, we actually can't do it as Americans. Yeah. So every time I hear this, I have to say I'm jealous, but it does give you such a wide range of opportunity. Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, um, also in Switzerland, we don't have that. So I'm um, uh, lucky enough to have all the passports I can use to... And travel. Yeah, my dream, my, my biggest dream was to go to Australia. And then at the end of the high school, when I was close to the uh, diploma, I realized that by checking around the info and the flights, that actually can be possible. You know, when a dream, when you start to be very close to a dream and you realize that it's actually really possible to achieve. And I was questioning myself, should I really want to be, to go to Australia? And I look at the map and I realized there is a country even further that was New Zealand like, compared from Switzerland. So I I was like, okay, should I really want to go to Australia, or is it just, like, an idea? I want to travel very far. And I decided to change my plan, and I bought my ticket to New Zealand. And, actually, it was very uh, interesting because I bought my ticket without being very sure to get my diploma, right? You weren't sure
0: if you are going to graduate? Yeah,
1: I was not very sure, you know, it was, like, one year in advance to have the best price for flight, you know, uh, applying for the visa. Um, but I was sure that after that, I would travel, so that I just had to succeed It's cool, let's say. just This is just like high school, right? Um, and then that happened, lucky me, and then I flew to uh, New Zealand. I had there a really um, backpacker lifestyle. So I saved a little bit of money from Switzerland, but I wanted to really live as soon as possible. As soon as possible because I was tired of staying, you know, in my town, in my city, just wanted to explore a bit the world.
0: Now, I think of Switzerland as a very central place in Europe and a place that it would be easy to get to other countries in Europe and, and perhaps, you, you know, the salaries are high, I think, so you can yeah. easily travel. But is that in your town? Did a lot of people travel? or did it feel So really
1: actually, different? not really in Switzerland. I don't think it's really a common trend to travel after high school because many people just go to university. Of course, there's some people doing that. It's more trendy, for example, in Germany. That's really, really common to do like... a Gap here around the world so but my my case I really wanted to go there and experience a backpacker lifestyle So I travel all the world arrived in New Zealand in a foreign country Actually, I didn't save that much money because I just wanted to leave as soon as possible Switzerland and I arrived there I realized that I needed to work So I had like my working holiday visa my passport and I decided to go to some places So I just arrived in a new said, Okay, where should I work? <laughs> I was in my hostel um so I apply in a very you know common way to work as a backpacker is this uh, agricultural field, like um plant field uh, in my case it was flower picking. So first time ever in my life I had to do some uh, manual work let's say like you know like in a field.
0: It sounds like it was good
1: for you sir yeah. It was a good experience. <laughs> it wasn't actually it was one of the worst experiences in my life in terms of working. I mean I'm very uh, happy I did that because I could realize what I like or not. Why was it so
0: terrible? I <laughs> mean, <laughs> Flower picking yeah terrible so if you say the phrase.
1: The idea is really nice. You think it's like in a Disney movie, you have beautiful flowers. It's not the case. In my case, it was like button flower. so it's even not uh, bloomed yet. It's like this kind of little dot flower. You don't You have to really look closer to uh, picking them. So I signed up and the thing is, I didn't really find the job by myself. So the worst, <laughs> it was that I had to pay my hostel to get me the job oh. so I had to pay like 100 bucks and yeah that's true they had contacts; they could find me a job within hours right so the next day early morning we started and we were in the fields. never done that in my life before and I started to pick up um flower I was I had some neighbor Asian people French people German people and I was the slowest really the slowest, because it was the first time in my life I had to pick flour. Now this really is slow. And at the end of the of the day, I really tried to work so hard, you know, and actually I made like 40 bucks, like some, like nothing. And I worked so much, so much. And I was complaining all the time to my German neighbor, never complaining, you know, and really strict. And I came back the next day. Again, I was like, oh, no, that's not for me. So I quit after two days and I even, like I made two times, uh, so 80 bucks in total, which was actually (laughs) not a benefit compared to the price I had to pay the hostel. So I basically lost money by working in the field. That was my first experience.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have to ask what happened from there.
1: Yeah, good question. So still enough money, not enough money because I needed to sustain my life. So I went back to the agency and I asked, okay, I need a job. <laughs> said, what, you could after two days? Yeah, but I couldn't, but I just didn't need a job. So I actually changed the city and I got a job in a wood pallet factory. Again, really like, you know, in a factory. This never. sounds
0: worse. Like the phrase wood pellet factory sounds like it's going to be worse than flower picking. At least it might be. In yeah,
1: so it was <laughs> much more, let's say, masculine environment. I've never been in this environment before. So I started to do this uh, wood pallets. It's actually I have to say very very simple. So you have like tool, you know, needle. You have to put in the wood, then pass to your neighbor doing something else. So and you do that for every day, like every day. So I did that, two days. Then I called the agency, say I can't do that anymore. I say, can you please finish your day? I say okay. So at the end I did three days, and I told that to my German friends, and they say, oh, well done, Surya, you did one more day of work. <laughs> So
0: this that's is becoming like
1: quite the comedy. Series. Yeah, so that was the second experience, and then I work in a coffee shop as a so. But that was also another dream I had is to experience this backpacking life, um, in a coffee shop doing coffee because New Zealand is really, coffee coffee is really a trend there. So they're very fussy about coffee. So I started to work there as a barista assistant with the dream to become the barista basically. <laughs> <laughs> I, and um, I could only train myself after hour, you know, when there's no client anymore. And uh, I asked the barista, it was a girl really friendly in Oakland. Uh, and uh, I asked her, can you please uh, show me how to make coffee? I said, yeah, sure. So I started to use the machine, you know, um, uh, warm the milk. And then I, of course I was not professional. It was the first time I was pouring the milk in this big espresso machine. And then after a few seconds, The chef from the kitchen ran out and he looked at me and he said, who did this noise? I was like, "Uh, me? Don't touch this machine again anymore. If people come in in this shop and hear this noise, they will run away. And I was like, my dream is destroyed. I will never become a barista. So yeah, that was my third experience, like a working experience. Yeah, so that's... And that was one day. That was, yeah, just after a few days of working, you know, trying out the, the Paris test job, yeah. So, I realized I still need money, right? I was in New Zealand, couldn't make a living. And I was reflecting, okay, I have some savings, but really not for long. New Zealand is an expensive country. I want to be able to travel. Actually, I bought a van when I arrived. I spent already quite of money. And I said, okay, now I need to find a way. And I was reflecting back to my skills and what can I do. And back to... Middle school, high school, I was making some websites. Now, like, oh, that could be a source of income, right? So from this point on, I started to do websites remotely for Swiss clients. First it was family, then it was friend of a friend, then friend of family, whatever. And then I was sitting in my hotel in coffee shop making websites, which was much better paid than this field or like assistant of barista and I was so much more chilling in a coffee shop so that's the story a bit how I become a nomad a digital nomad that was not I was not like under this label digital nomad back then it was just to make a living to sustain my travel in New Zealand
0: okay so that first job you like Literally called a family member and said, can I, do you have any website that Yeah, Yeah, so my family, me, they
1: do. yeah, they have a business, it's a music school. So I start to improve the website, That's take nice. over, stuff like that. And then I continued doing that because, of course, I made, I made much more money than working in any agriculture field. Even if it was just cheap website, you know, that is still better than 40 bucks a day uh, for the flower picking job. So I flew back to Switzerland. And I was really considering if I should sign up to go to university or not. So I signed up and then I didn't go first year. Actually, one year later, I did the same. I was like, okay, should I go there or no? And I signed up and then I did. didn't go. Um, and I continue to live this uh, lifestyle from Switzerland with Swiss clients, but doing some website on the site. I work for a company, then a startup. And then I realized that actually my way is just continuing what I'm doing online. Uh, Now I have a company doing uh, IT consulting. And yeah, everything started because I was frustrated to not get money in New Zealand, basically.
0: I love how travel taught you how to find the job that you didn't know you needed to start.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So now I'm in uh, Lisbon, in Portugal, with you. Very grateful to be here. And I will be traveling a little bit more in a few weeks.
0: Yeah, and like you said, you've been traveling for five years now, doing this. Yeah, so so. what
1: I realized is when I was in New Zealand, really far from everywhere, actually from Switzerland, I realized that I went to the furthest, the antipodes, a point in Perth. But I didn't really know where I was coming from. So as soon as I came back from my big travel, because it was not only New Zealand that I went to. Southeast Asia, Mexico, States, Iceland. Mm -hmm. When I came back to Switzerland, to Europe... I decided I wanted to see more of Europe. So the next day, the next year, um, I visited almost all the country of Europe. Of course, it was not like a deep travel, but just more visiting, flying to cities, and just like weekend off. Um, Yeah, so I started to do that, also travel around Switzerland for a bit, did many road trips to really see my country first. So now I feel a little bit more relaxed to not only be really far from everything. You know, sometimes you have to go to go very far to understand that you want to explore local, right?
0: Exactly, and and one thing that's interesting about your job and the way you grew it on the road is like, you started, like you said, you had this pain point, you had to learn how to like make money in New Zealand, but then you did go back to Switzerland. I don't know exactly why you went back at first to just like, you know, just see your family, but you spent some time there and built up more clients. I think that's a good thing people can do as well if they want to start this kind of lifestyle.
1: Yeah, so for me, the point is it was only one year, one gap year. I was telling everybody when I was traveling that it's my gap year between high school and university, right? This is what you do. You can travel a little bit. And when I came back, I realized that I was actually maybe not fan of the... Idea of going to university for a few years and then get a job. So I kind of skip university. I got a job directly in the company in Switzerland because I could already improve some IT skills. Uh, so yeah, it was an IT company in Switzerland. A nice job, um, but I did I didn't like the, you know, the corporate lifestyle. So I quit and I joined a startup and actually working until ten pm, eleven pm for a company which is not mine was not also uh, my biggest dream. So I could only fit uh, in the box of having my own business. That was the thing. So yeah, I was staying, let's say, I was building that on the side of um, my corporate job, on the side of... Questioning myself if I go, I should go to university or not, and then at some point I decided that okay, I will pursue this path, and then I moved to Germany. Actually, I live in Germany for one year, and then now I'm completely nomads, traveling around. Now with COVID, of course, I stay longer in one place, which is Portugal now, mm-hmm. but I will be traveling more.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, let's talk briefly about your passports because when I met you, I was told I heard that you have—is it three passports?
1: Yes, that's what I have. I'm very lucky to have three passports. So, I'm from Geneva in Switzerland, which is a very international city. Actually, I don't have a lot of friends that is hundred uh, percent Swiss. I have a few. Actually, is very proud of that because it's really rare, especially in Geneva. But yeah, a lot of people are having uh, bi-nationalities and I have three. Actually, I have four nationalities. But uh, so I have four grandparents. <laughs> That's why I have... You do, okay, of, you yeah. don't say. <laughs> this is the way. So um, I have the Swiss passport, the Irish passport and the Spanish passport. And I have to say I'm very grateful for that because when I go, I just choose the best passport I can travel with. And this happened more than uh, than a few times, really, during COVID, you know, only the country that you have the passport, you can sometimes go back to the States, it's much easier even after Brexit, you know, that's Mm -hmm. difficult for Europeans to travel, to or to travel, it's okay, but to live there, you have to either live before, or be from UK, or from Ireland, which I am. So it's always a bit funny when I go back to one of these countries, and they talk I mean, the main language of the country, like Span- Spain. If I use my Spanish passport, and I don't really speak Spanish, you know. <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah. Uh,
0: How did that work? So did you have to apply for the second and third passports as you got older?
1: Exactly. I had to wait when I was 18. But the day I turned 18, I had the list. All the things I wanted to do. And then I went to the embassy. And that was actually a funny story, too, to have my Spanish passport because I uh, had to use Google Translate in front of the woman. To, you know, translate the paper and to fill up. They were very kind with me, but it was obvious that I was, I mean, yes, I am from Spain, but not like deeply like a Spanish guy, you know, just got, I just hold a passport, to be honest. Right.
0: Your grandparent is from there. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And
0: I know that, like, I have quite a big American audience that listens to this Mm -hmm. podcast, and I know it is possible for, for certain countries, for the grandparent, you can apply, even if you were born in the States. Check the rules. Actually, everybody listening from the different countries, check your rules for applying for these passports. But you might be able to get a passport you you were unaware of. Yeah, and you're-
1: especially the Spanish embassy told me that in my case, of course, it depends to everybody's case, depends of which grandparents you had, etc. But my case, I, it was much easier if I would um, go to uh, embassy before 21 years old, which was okay. the case. I went there when I was 18. So that was easier and depends of the country. You know, like for example, the Irish passport. You can get it if you have a relative, a grandparents that hold the Irish passport. So there is always different regulation for every passport you can hold. But I know that some people instead of collecting stamps, visa stamps on the passport, they collect they collect passports. So that's another thing you can do.
0: It's definitely much more attractive since 2020 to collect the passports. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I have to say that I'm also very happy to have different European passports because they're not all equal. Uh, We can see that during COVID time, right? We think that uh, through Schengen area, you can travel all around freely. Uh, But now, you know, when France closed the border, Switzerland did the same then you can, you're more likely to be able to go back to your own country, or the one you have citizenship, which is having the passport of the country.
0: Yeah. And mm. I know in the EU, different countries have different costs of living. So in Spain, you would have much less you'd have to pay for than Switzerland, for example.
1: Yeah, and that's also the funny thing about the price of the passports. They don't have the same price when I renew them.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, you can see the different way of uh, cost of living from the same country.
0: Well, let's talk about. So you mentioned that your parents have a music school. Can you tell me a bit more about that? What kind of music?
1: Yeah, so I would say I was raised in a entrepreneurship mindset. So that's nothing. My, my mother has a music school, so she gives a music lesson to children. Uh, so that's something I was always around, especially in the IT. So I'm from like IT background, let's say, or like my interest. Since I didn't study IT in university, my interest is always having IT.
0: Sounds like from a very young age. When did you start? playing with
1: computers. Actually the joke is um, from primary school. I started to learn programming, HTML, CSS if you can call that programming. And then I was stuck uh, when I was programming PHP as a very young child, you know, because I was I didn't have the mathematic base to understand the language. So I had to wait for years to have the Mathematic knowledge that I got from middle school to be able to continue programming. Yeah, So I gave back up this thing by the time. And then I picked it up again in high school to make some earning. And then that was very uh, paying it off when I was in New Zealand to program a little bit and to uh, make website to make some money.
0: Would you recommend children during elementary school to start learning programming? Yeah,
1: I would definitely. It's like learning a language, right? If you want... Uh, it's always good to, learn, to know more, if you want if you know how to speak Spanish, English, French, it's always great to at least have some basics, right? Yeah. Especially which world we're going towards, it's a uh, it digit, completely digital world and any IT skill setting could be useful for you, especially if you have your own little business and you don't have the resource to pay other people, you can, and you have the time. For example, during COVID, you a lot of time, I a lot of the time you're at home. Instead of paying an agency, expensive agency to make a website for your business, you can do it by yourself. And for that you need to be a little bit curious about how to make a website, how to edit stuff, etc.
0: Okay. I also to go back to the music lesson. So what kind of music lessons was your mom giving? So
1: she is giving violin lessons and also for early children. Introduction to music, very like one or two years old.
0: Okay, because I, I know that you are you have you have quite an interest in dance, and you're a dancer, you like to... I've seen you do bachata and salsa, mm-hmm. but when did you start learning to dance and getting into it?
1: So, first I would like to say that I hold three passports, but as I told you before, I have four nationalities. And the fourth one is the one I don't have the passport of, but it's Venezuelans. I'm also actually almost 50% from Venezuela. So maybe, maybe it's coming in my DNA, the dancing blood, you know, maybe it's coming from there that I dance bachata and salsa, actually more recently kizumba, since I'm in Portugal, it's very trendy here to dance kizumba. But yeah, that's Latin dance, it's something I really like.
0: Wow. So when did you start doing Latin
1: dance? I started that um, four years ago, I would say, and... Again, that was the same project I had actually longer than four years ago, because the project was to travel the world, to go to New Zealand, if we go back to this story, and to, be, to have a little bit of skills before going. I wanted to go to Mexico, I wanted to go to many places, but I didn't want to dance in Mexico from scratch. I wanted to have a little bit base of salsa. That's how, actually, I started. I wanted to be ready for my travel.
0: <laughs> in Switzerland? Yeah. Started, wow. How was that? Like, how was the dance scene in um, Geneva? I'm guessing that's actually good,
1: were. actually good. There are a lot of people dancing salsa and bachata in Geneva. Kizumba as well, I guess. But of course, not now because of Covid, <laughs> but um, that was a great experience. I would recommend everybody to try at least a few lessons of uh, partner dance. So not like Zumba or like a dance to do alone, but with someone. It's just amazing. This is something I discovered only like five years ago, let's say. How has it contributed
0: to your life and the quality of your so life? So
1: I would say the main part is to have more confidence in yourself and being more able to communicate with others because this is a very human skill, right? Now you can earn money behind your computer for most of the job. You don't really need to communicate or to be in contact with human. But dancing is something you really need to be. So you need to be to have this connection with someone that you don't know when you dance, that you maybe already know. And that, I would say, helped me a lot. Is this to make a balance uh, in my life, you know, to have this IT background, but also a human connection, social lifestyle.
0: I would say that's so important because, yes, like being in IT, that's the one of the, seems to be on one of the extreme ends of like the lack of social communication. So it's interesting that you chose this thing on a, the, a very opposite end of the scale and so i have to ask like did you use your dance skills in new zealand that was your first stop <laughs> yeah on exactly
1: good question it was not the first stop it was um so i went first to finland then i went to because i always like to stay a few days in a layover so in finland it was two days then i went to southeast asia for one month and then new zealand but then i stayed there for nine months so that was a long time Good question about the dancing. So of course, the first week I didn't know anybody in New Zealand. What did I do? I went to like a dancing bar. I have to say I was very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I was very disappointed. It's not as it's not the same moods. It's not the same atmosphere uh, as Europe. You know, we very re- influenced by Spain, Italy, which is more like Latin way.
0: And um, Geneva, like you said, it's such a melting pot of cultures yeah. that yeah. you're getting access to all of these different people. Whereas in New Zealand, I imagine it's a lot more homogenous in terms of the feeling mm. that you're.
1: So that's uh, like a little disappointment I had in New Zealand. I went to to Auckland. It's the biggest city in New Zealand. Is I would say, I think it's one million inhabitants habitants, and New Zealand is four million in total. So it's kind of big city for the country, the biggest. So I went to one of the biggest bars in the biggest uh, city of the country and it was, yeah, half of the people didn't really dance. Or like, yeah, it was salsa, like a, a reggaeton. But when I, back to Switzerland, when I go back, when I go to like a bar to dance, it's really 100% salsa, or 100% bachata, and everybody's dancing. There it was more like, some people were dancing and the other were just resting and enjoying to watch. But when I invited them to dance, I said, oh no, sorry, I don't dance. I'm like, okay. What are you doing here? Sorry
0: <laughs> okay. where has been Okay. Where have been some of the best places that you've danced in the world? Because it sounds like you went to Mexico.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so every country has a different way of approaching dance. They have like some uh, trends. You would think that, I don't know, salsa bachata is trending all around the world. But sometimes it's like, that's a good point, actually. I went to Mexico. What did I do? Sign up for salsa classes. I was very uh, happy to be there. And I realized it was not the same salsa. It was a different one that I learned in Switzerland. You have Cubana salsa, when you uh, do dance around a circle, kind of. And then you have like Lineal or like LA salsa, or you have different variation. And when I arrived there, Mexico, they actually danced the other one I didn't dance. So that was like a joke, kind of, that I had to learn from scratch again, even though I wanted to learn to be ready for my travel.
0: Right, there's, you're always learning something new. But And I know that we've talked about you wanting to... You haven't been to Colombia, but that's definitely on your dance
1: list. Yeah, for sure. I heard Colombia is very great for salsa dancing. I'm more focusing to Bachata now. Bachata, sensual or modern, which the one I'm doing, is coming from Spain. So you asked me where is the best place I um, dance, I would say Spain so far. I haven't danced in all the country, but of course, when I travel, this is definitely a main point I'm looking. I went to Ukraine two years ago, and I even, like ask dance school beforehand where I could dance when I would be here. If it's just a few days, you know, you don't have the time. Or I even would plan my flight to be on the good days, you know, to be because sometimes every week is Thursday or Tuesday the dance party of the of the week in the city. So I try to plan my flight to so arrive before and after the party, you know, to match
0: yeah, and I've heard there's also, like, marathon weekends of dance. Like, I, I actually have studied tango mm-hmm. a, a few times in Buenos Aires. I've been lucky enough to go down and, like, learn it for two months. But, I like, there'd be these tango weekends around the world. So, if, if people have never thought about this or as a way to connect, especially with people, you can do a tango weekend in Berlin. You can do a tango weekend in Portland, Oregon, I heard, is a big place yeah. for that.
1: Yeah, you can do weekends, dance weekend, but even better, you can do dance festivals, so that's which I
0: haven't been to yet, oh, you not have to, been try. to the Tango Festival, for example, in Buenos Aires, which I think is in October every year.
1: Well, maybe not this year, but or last year. But yeah, so actually that's one of my biggest uh, frustration during COVID is no festival anymore, especially dance festival, which is really, really a great uh, way to uh, meet people and also to improve your skill dancing skills. This is
0: something that's been hard, right? To like even practice yeah. dance has been a challenge. Two year.
1: years ago, just right before COVID, I went to more than five festivals uh, during the year. I went to Spanish festival, German festival, Swiss festival. And it's actually interesting to actually meet the local culture through dancing in a festival. You can see the different uh, energy in a German dancing festival than like a Spanish dancing festival. So that's an interesting way of Understanding a culture and a country through dancing, how people dance in the country.
0: Yeah, I remember going to Santiago, Chile, um, for a couple of days and going to a dance class one night. And one of the guys there, who was probably in his late forties, but I got this really nice energy from him. He like offered to drive me back to my place. Like people just you start meeting locals right away and you just connect with them because you have this common thing, and it's not you know the language. It's something deeper, maybe more precious to both of you because you're passionate about that hobby. And it's like such an easy, quick, great way to connect with people.
1: Yeah. And I have to say, it's not only a hobby, like you would also do paragliding. This is not a topic, but I also paraglide a lot, which is also a very nice hobby to have with different friends. But let's say the friends I have with paragliding, I connect through the hobby, but dancing is more than that. It's also, you connect through the hobby, but also through the connection when you dance together. So there's also this human connection when you dance, which is very nice.
0: I completely agree. And I will also recommend to you the city of Cali in Colombia. That's for salsa. Is, I think yeah, one of the, it's considered the capital of salsa mm-hmm. in Colombia. Um, and I'm sure you're going to have a great time.
1: Yeah, I want to travel there to yeah. figure out how is it is. Actually, dancing in South America, I didn't really experience. I went to Mexico, which is north. But I want to try out how to meet the culture there through dancing. That's a great way to travel. When you have a way to travel, like instead of just going on a holiday for a weekend there, but you, for example, love coffee, love beer, wine, uh, paragliding, dancing. Even running. Running is a great... Yeah. And then you can discover different countries through you. yeah, your way of traveling. Me, if it's paragliding, I like to stay around country with a lot of mountain or cliffs. And then you have kind of a... You niche down your way of traveling.
0: Yeah, I love it. I am definitely a fan of that type of travel. Mm-hmm. If you can get multiple interests of, of those things you just said as well, it's even better.
1: It's like Yeah, for example, paragliding is very great to uh, combine with kite surfing or like hiking. So for example, if it is, it's too windy, you can hike. If it's... Uh, Raining, you can dance if you also dance like me.
0: I like coffee and then dancing at night. Yeah. Like morning and night. And then wine, maybe later. Wine, yeah. Wine tasting. I mean, that is such an easy way to connect with people for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, so you are in IT. You said you have your own business. But what I'm interested for the listeners to also hear about is how you like to automate things. That's part of your business, right? Is automating your life. And I'm definitely a person in need of automation. So what kind of things do you offer people to...
1: So, yeah, I have this part of me which I love to be in connection with human, and then another part which I like, actually, computer. Uh, I would say that's a very special thing about me is this bridge between human and computer, because I like to say sometimes, often, people programming have less skills in communication, let's say, and maybe people really into humans, they don't really care about IT. So I would say that's the bridge I can do. And about the IT part, so I have an um, automation consultancy. So I do business consulting to automate all the businesses. So my the biggest, the big value behind that is I believe I want to avoid people wasting their time, or make them earn, like gaining time. That's really the biggest thing, but especially that they don't waste their time. You know, if you like to take times to learn like a new hobby, for example, surfing, you will take some hour doing that. But this is fine because you love doing it. But if you spend many hours a day, a week doing something a bit useless, like copy paste on Google Sheets or like this, is always task that you repeat along days. And that is still the same, always the same. And this is the core of my business is to automate these processes the repeating processes inside other businesses.
0: So how would you do that? Would We have a call together and I say, Surya, this is what I spend way too much time on, and I feel like I'm wasting my time here, and then you specifically help me on that point?
1: Yeah, usually for small, medium businesses, they already have a few employees, and they realize that a lot of the tools they use It's actually IT tool, right? Because everybody using a computer now, if you make shoes, if you sell coffee, no matter your business type, probably you use some IT tool, right? Mm -hmm. This is 2021. And usually people realize that some of the stuff or they guess could be automated because you can connect tool together. If you have a warehouse and you want to ship product automatically and you don't want to Call the guy from the warehouse all the time. There is a way. There is probably a way. So people guess that now you can automate stuff and they come to me. Okay, I'd like to do that. Is it possible? If yes, can you do it? And then yes, that's the way. Nice. Of course, if you don't know, I can also analyze, do some consulting, say, okay, look, this is a part that you are spending a lot of time with your employee. You can automate the process of publishing on. Instagram, on Facebook, you don't need to send it through your phone and then add the hashtag manually from there. You know, there's always a way you can improve your automation. And I believe in efficiency, of course. I have an example about myself, how I apply that to my business, if you want to hear.
0: I would love to hear that.
1: So, as I said, I love to paraglide. I have a partnership with a company sending me prospect people that want to have some of my services. But also, I get this message as other partners. So we a lot getting this email say, "Okay, this guy want a project. This is the budget." The thing is, I get few emails a day, and I can't be. I don't want. I don't want to be in front of my computer all day waiting for this email to come. So of course, when the day is nice in Switzerland and I paraglide around the mountain. I land in the field, I open my phone, I check, and then actually I just received an email one hour ago when I took off and I couldn't reply because of course I was paragliding. So basically I lost the lead, I lost the client. And I was reflecting about that, I so yeah, but I don't want to be sitting in front of my computer all day just to be able to reply maybe some clients in the future. So I spent some days working on the system to automate the uh, replying to these clients, which is now uh, using machine learning to understand the language, to reply in the language of the person. And now I feel very confident when I paragraph because I know that I have a computer working for me in the background. And when I land now, I can check that my computer already sent the email for me. So I'm not spending any time in front of my computer to do this task at least.
0: So is this kind of like a chat
1: It's not a chat it's through emails. Okay. So... Imagine email as a chatbot, you send me an email, I will put a timer to not reply to you too fast, to make it more human, of course. Right. And then I will uh, I have a machine learning algorithm that will understand the content of your email and give you a reply. That's just the first layer. I really like to be hum- human too. So when people want to call me, to write me email, and I feel um, that is very personal and highly interested, then I will, of course, reply personally. It's just like a first filter. That's
0: really cool. Is there like a common thing that you seem to, for almost every client, be automating for them? Is there some like tip you can
1: give to people
0: that have how to automate something that they wouldn't think of?
1: I would, I would say maybe you don't have an idea right now, but try to reflect on your life. Try to see pattern every day. What do you always do? If every morning you take too, uh, so much time to wait in the kitchen for the coffee machine to warm up to have your coffee, Maybe you don't like this time. If you like this time and you read a newspaper, fine. It's always about not <laughs> automating what you like. If you like, it's fine. But if you don't like this part, maybe buy a timer to warm up the, the coffee machine just right before you stand up. There is some way you can automate stuff, even not through IT, like computer, but through just like electronic and pattern that you find in your everyday life, I would say.
0: Now, have you gotten into Alexa or some of these like home assistants that seem to, you know, I can really see these like Alexa skills, for example, really starting to automate so many things like turn on the lights, set the alarm. Like, I think we're really going to start automating so much more and there's going to be a huge leap forward. Have you, do you have any experience with Alexa skills or?
1: So I'm not owning any Alexa or Google product like that because I also, (laughs) as a Swiss Citizen, I believe, in privacy. This is also a big idea we have in Switzerland.
0: I'm torn. I, I, I would like to play and just see what yeah, these bots sure. can do, but I'm also like, uh, yeah, don't Just be careful, to me. you know,
1: because they listen to you all the time. Like I just realized your iPhone, if you say uh, you talk to Siri, when it's locked, it will unlock. It means it's listening to you all the time, for example. No, I haven't tried uh, Alexa uh, yet. and actually wonder if we will really control our future with the voice because... Or the human around us can listen to what we're telling our phone. So, you know, I don't know if it's that private. I wonder. You know, you have some innovation sometimes that doesn't really uh nobody really care like the segue. <laughs> you know the segue, the two things, the two wheel that you stand and you can go on and off. You know this uh, yeah, vehicle. I've tried it a few times. Yeah, but it's not you don't see that in the streets every day. There is some innovation, so I wonder, you know, if some future tool will be used controlled by voice or no we'll see
0: yeah i'm very I'm very interested in that field but that i'm also like i said nervous about it and part of me hopes it doesn't succeed yeah well you've already mentioned and hinted at this a little bit like i'm sure that you want to go to more dance locations in the future but what what what's next for you who have been traveling already for five years and like you said you're stuck in lisbon right now you've been spending your time here
1: but what would you like to so actually i will leave lisbon very soon i'm going to canary islands it's a bit warmer for winter to spend uh, so yeah dancing for sure it's really one way of traveling but i would like to bring uh, more of paragliding because this is still new for me it's already it's only i think one or two years i have the license so i'd like to bring more like a paragliding dancing uh, travel together in some places and if possible I don't say don't take the plane anymore, but like I would like to travel with my paraglider as like a way of traveling, you know. So from Switzerland to Spain with my paraglider, for example.
0: Wow. I have to ask, how long is the training period for paragliding? Because I know with scuba diving, it's three days. How does the training for that? I've never tried this before. It's
1: much longer. Depends on the country. Switzerland is very um, strict about that. You need to have a certain level to get a license. In France, for example, you don't need any license. You can buy a paraglider. That's it. And certainly it took me one year. So much longer than you, three days training. You can do it in, I would say, two full months if you really have time and if you have the good weather condition, of course. Mm -hmm. But if you just take it in a normal speed, then I would say one year.
0: Okay. Is it very... How expensive was it for you to... So
1: I would say... Typically. Yeah, around 10000 Okay. Yeah. Because you have to buy your own gear. That's something very important and... Every teacher asks you to do is to have your own gear from almost the beginning because you will be training with this one that you will be alone with it later. So better to really know your material before.
0: Do you paraglide tandem when you start, like attached somehow? You don't or? have to.
1: Actually, oh, like I never. You know. Actually, I never tried in my life tandem for paragliding. There's another sport I do is skydiving. So the difference is from plane, and it's a free fall. That I'm also licensed to do that. And paragliding is running from mountain with you glider, so even if it looks like the same from uh, on the on the ground when you watch, up, no, it's not the same. One is flying really like from a mountain, and one is falling, and you open your parachute just to land, basically. Mm-hmm. And this is much faster. Skydiving is in France seven jumps to have the basic license, let's say.
0: Okay. Yeah, I've always seen paragliding advertised. It's one thing I've never done. Maybe I need to put that on my list as a new thing for yeah. 2021, hopefully. But let's see what happens. Mm. Well, if people want to reach out to you or follow your travels, where can they go?
1: My personal website is www.surya, my first name, S U R Y A, Sanchez, my last name, S A N C H E Z, dot com. That's okay. it.
0: Okay, and we will put that on the schooloftravels.com. Great. So this spelling like will be fine. <laughs> yes, and um, thank you very much, Surya, for thank joining me today. Thank you for having me. It was, it was fascinating to hear all the different things you're interested in and how it's really just, I don't know, it's really improved your life and the quality of your experiences. Great, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Surya, for sharing all that you've learned over the last five years of traveling with us. Surya's conversation has definitely inspired me to get back into dancing as soon as this whole pandemic will allow, as I agree with him that it is definitely one of the best ways to connect with others while traveling, since dance classes are one thing you can always find anywhere, even if it's just with a private teacher. Surya has also convinced me to take a harder look at the things I'm spending a lot of time on that may be able to be automated, and I would encourage you listeners to do the same if you feel so inspired. It definitely feels like the perfect time, during this time when we're all not traveling, to do a time audit and see what we may be able to simplify. I'm going to put the link to Surya's website on theschooloftravels.com if you're interested in learning more or would like to reach out to him. Thanks as always for joining me, listeners. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travel's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens. Your parents thought you'd be when you were born all with your head up standing tall and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world living in this perfect world